once you open your Bibles to Psalms, we are in Psalm 39. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for God using these men of God to just pour out their hearts on the written page for us to learn from, imitate, and draw near to you through them, Lord. Father, I just pray this evening we come here to be touched by you because we need you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 39, so in the Psalms, we've talked a lot about worship. Psalms are a worship manual, but there is another aspect to the Psalms, and that is uh, not unlike Proverbs and the book of James and a couple other books in the Bible, there's just a lot of very practical exhortation in the Psalms, and that is what Psalm 39 uh, begins with. This is David, verse 1, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. And so what's the practical exhortation here? Many times, most of the time, when there's anger in our heart, we need to keep our mouths shut a common theme throughout the Word of God. The Bible says in the multitude of words there is sin. And particularly when we're in, this, in these situations, you know, we can just ruin our witness for the Lord. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is what? Thou shalt not take the Lord, the, uh, the, Lord, the name of thy Lord God in vain. And one of the ways we can do that is just misrepresenting his name, misrepresenting him before others. And one of the ways we do that is with our anger. The book of James says, and I think I may have quoted this last week, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And his religion is useless. Lord, do you have to be so blunt? You must be from Boston, Lord. I mean, oh, God, it just hurts to, to every time I read that verse. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and his religion is worthless. And here, David in Psalm 39, he's clearly in the presence of people who just are grating against his flesh. Have anyone like that in your life right now? Just great against your flesh? 
Maybe it's someone in your own house. Maybe it's your husband. And says, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. And then he says in verse 2, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. In other words, he is wise enough to know that even if he opens his mouth to try to say something good, he's not going to be able to contain himself. He's just going to start like spouting off anger. So he knows his heart. It's deceptive. It's desperately wicked. And sometimes, you know, we rationalize and just open up our mouths and try to convince ourselves, well, I'll, I'll try to say something good, but, you know, we know our hearts. It's, it's just a path road to, pathway to, to say something, uh, to say something um, cruel. Verse 3 says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths and my age is nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. Surely, every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. So in verse 4, he begins to talk, but he's talking to the right person, right? He's talking to the Lord. And I think what's really interesting here is he recognizes before the Lord that really what his anger is about is his pride. He's just... Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. You know, 99% of anger, at least anger that is sin, is just really rooted in pride. I heard Ray Comfort one time said, pride is just a, anger is just a shield for your pride. That's all it is. You get angry because it's, it's a cover for your pride. And that's what he is recognizing here, and he's going before the Lord, and he's, you know, the only reason I'm angry, Lord, is just because I'm, I, 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 I'm just so filled with pride. Teach me to know how frail I am, he says. And that every man, verse 5, is, is but a vapor, is but a vapor. We're, we're just so limited We're so limited in our faculties. I heard this week um, that, do you know that you can't even, it's impossible. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that that can simultaneously sneeze and keep their eyes open. Would anyone like, anyone think they're different? Like to try us out here? Oh, oh, you would, okay. You can do that, Amy? The the one exception in the world, uh, six billion people. (laughs) You ruined my illustration. I was going to say, you see how limited we are? We we can't even keep our eyes. Well, you know, Scott, he found himself there a woman. uh, I saw in an Oprah cover, uh, you know, waiting in line uh, at Stop and Shop. I I really get convicted because my daughter Grace sometimes goes, Dad, what are you looking at? You know, these terrible... Magazines, you know, us and what are those things? I I I don't know. It, it it's amazing. I I read somewhere that these magazines 
they're, they're gossip and they're always about like the same six people and it named off these six people and they don't even go beyond these six people I, but whatever uh, there was Oprah there and there's this big thing you are stronger than you think you are and that's just a lie you know, it's just a lie from, uh, actually, from the pit of, of hell. We were talking this morning in church about uh, the, the sin in, of the garden. You can be, or the temptation in the garden. You can be like God. You can be as strong as God. Verse 5, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before you. At best, every man is but a vapor you know even in the area you know best actually you're very 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 ignorant you know whether you're a scientist a construction person a, a lawyer a doctor you know I know the Bible really really well and I recognize there's just just a fraction that I know. There's so much more. And, 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 you know, we think we know things. I, so I heard this story about this famous professor, and he was erudite man. And four disciplines, biology, geology, history, and astronomy. And uh, he's one of those professors at a smaller university, and he took his uh, students out. Uh, I went to a college like that. Every once in a while, you know, a professor would take you to their house. You'd have tea, and you'd really feel like you're really smart. Wow, I'm here having tea with this really smart guy. Yeah. But this guy, he took his students out uh, on a canoe trip, and he wanted to motivate him to to be um, just to take a greater interest in uh, in 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 wisdom and knowledge. And this student was, you know, one of these real apathetic guys. And, really could just trying to get his way through and you know the professor was going to win him over and so he took him out on this canoe trip and he went by some rocks and he said hey do you see the algae on that rock he said that to the student and he says well yes I see it do you know what kind of algae uh, what kind of algae that is and, he, and the student said no uh, not at all he says well if you don't know the science behind what kind of algae is you're missing 20% of life So they went on in the canoe, and they saw this beautiful rock formation on the cliff. And he said to the student, do you know what kind of rock formation uh, that is? And the student said, no. And the professor says, well, if you don't know the geology behind that rock formation, you know, you're just missing 20% of life. The student's like, shrugs. And went... So he went further on and on some walls in the caverns by the river and there were some hieroglyphics actually. Um, and he's pointing at them. He says, do you know who painted those pictures? And the student uh, looks at him and goes, of course not. No, and I, I don't, not at all. And the professor goes, well, if you don't know the history about, about you know, who, who, what's, if you don't know the history behind, you know, who, painted those picture, pictures, you're missing 20% of light. And it was getting late after a while. He'd been out there. He wasn't making any uh, headway with this student. And um, 
it's getting dark, and he's looking up at the sky, and he points to the sky and says, do you know what constellation that is? And the student says, no. Well, if you don't know the astronomy of the universe, you're missing 20% of life. And the student says, wow, I'm missing 80% of life, huh? Wow. And uh, all of a sudden, there was the sound of rushing water, and, and uh, it was late, and the canoe was getting out of control and it started sweeping down and picking up speed and getting out of control and the student said to the professor so uh, do you know how to swim the professor said no he says man if you don't know how to swim you're missing a hundred percent of your life (laughs) anyway Sam how was that how did I do So anyway, you can know about geology, history, astronomy, <laughs> biology, uh, you know, and, and these types of things. But really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the things of God and understanding how frail we are. And, and we can get so pumped up in whatever discipline uh, that we have, may have been called to without realizing that we know just so very little. Verse 11, it says, um, uh, rather in, um, where it says in in verse 5, certainly every man at his best is but vapor. Another translation is vanity. And verse 7, he says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make uh, the reproach of the foolish, uh, me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. So evidently there's some kind of rebuke going on, some kind of chastisement, discipline. Uh, Verse 11, when with... Rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. So, you know, we get pumped up, and I, I just like the illustration about the, uh, the professor. You know, he, he maybe get pumped up with all his knowledge, but uh, just in a moment of time, all his power, all his knowledge can just melt up. He's just like a moth, you know, against the, uh, the light bulb or whatever. Surely, again, every man is a vapor, vanity. There's so much vanity uh, in this world, so much vanity in, in, in our hearts, in my heart. And it's so important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. So we uh, were reading in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you. Not a stranger before you, a stranger with you. The Bible does say we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, meaning we're temporary residents, but we're with the Lord. actually calls himself a sojourner, as all my fathers were, verse 13, remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. So, uh, again, some kind of chastisement going on, but, but, you know, there is such a thing as sanctified shame, sanctified uh, 
conviction, which is different than condemnation. You may have heard this before. The difference between condem- uh, condemnation and conviction is, is when you are condemned, it's of the enemy, it's of Satan, and, and, and conviction is of, of the Lord. And, the, and, and how do we know that this is conviction and not condemnation? Because conviction, uh, it, it, during a season of conviction, you're always but being drawn to the Lord. You're being drawn to the Lord. You're seeking, you're pleading with Him. Whereas condemnation, it's like you, you, you want to stay away from the Lord. You want to stay away from the, your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You, uh, you just want to stay away. And here, uh, He's just recognizing who God is and who He is remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. It's a wonderful thing about David, as tremendously flawed as his life was, he knew how to be restored. Psalm 40, wonderful psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And so, you know, sometimes uh, you are in a trial. You just got to wait on the Lord. You know, our first reaction to a trial is immediately to pray. Okay, just get me out of this. But, you know, many times... The answer to that prayer is, man, you need to cool your jets. I want you in this trial. I want you in it. You know, I um, have a part-time job three days a week, and I've been working at the company I've been at for a number of years now. And, man, I'm ready for it to be zero days a week and just to go full-time and... uh, you know, with the church, and and recently something happened, uh, which I really felt like, wow, this is an opportunity uh, to pray to go down from three days to two days, or maybe no days at all. And uh, I asked a couple of you to pray for me, and it was just. Um, <laughs> I, I remember I asked a couple people to pray uh, for me, and I was in the Word of God all day because I was I was uh, studying for a message. It was a Friday. And by the end of the day, the answer was clear. Sorry, you got to wait. And it was just really discouraging. I was like, I don't want to hear that answer. And, and, and you know, it was just one of those things. And, and Friday, that Friday night, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. That Friday night, I, the, the Lord woke me up about every hour, like the whole night. And I, I just woke up and just as it says, you know, I think of you during the watches of the evening... Um, I just prayed every time I woke up, Lord, okay, I need grace. You want me to stay? I need grace. I need grace. It was just really cool, just the peace uh, that was in my heart, really within a couple of of days. But, you know, that's that's how it is. (laughs) You know, we're in a season of our life. We should not assume, even for a second, that God wants us out of it right this moment. No matter how painful and grievous, it may grind against our flesh. He may want you to wait. 
He may want you to wait. Why? Well, let's see. Verse 3. He has put a new song in my heart. Well, actually, at the end of verse 2, he set my feet. So I was in a horrible pit. I'm in the miry clay. He put my feet on a rock. He established my steps. He put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear. This is a holy, healthy fear. And will trust in the Lord. So in other words, because he waited patiently, as he waited patiently, verse 1, he waited patiently in the mire, in the muck, in the mire, he waited patiently because people were witnessing that and saw him where the Lord brought him out of the muck and the mire and placed him on a rock, placed him in a broad place, as David often likes to say, they feared God. It's like, Wow. The God of this man is real. The God of this woman is real. And, and brothers and sisters, this can happen in your life where people look at you as you are just being brought up on the, from the muck and the mire even as you're waiting patiently for the Lord to do the work. Sometimes it feels like it's taking him forever, but he's bringing you to a broad place. You know, I, I Pastor Scott and I, uh, we pray each week, and Pastor Greg and I, and actually Greg and I were just praising God for um, a, a number of different things last, uh, last night. But, you know, one of the things that every once in a while we just look back and are amazed at what the Lord has done in some of your lives. I was speaking with uh, Guillermo and I. We're just almost laughing about it a few weeks back. I mean, books are written about people like some of you people <laughs> in this church. And, and it's just amazing uh, to, to see. But what... It, it, and, and so... Just in my heart, I feel like this has happened just by watching people. Many will see and fear and, tr and praise the Lord, verse 3. Um, just praising the Lord, many will fear and, and will trust in the Lord and, and will praise the Lord. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor, does, nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, this is kind of a difficult one. Um, this is kind of a difficult one because... You know, this is talking about there's God. There, you have so many thoughts towards me because uh, so many that they can't even be uh, counted. You know, I have a difficult time believing that <laughs> that that the thoughts of God's towards me are more than can be numbered. David repeats something like this. I think in was it Psalm one thirty nine. I mean, that's just 
there's five, six billion people in the world. What, what is the Lord thinking about me? It's one of those things that we need to believe by faith. Believe by faith. It's what the Word of God says, and we need to accept it by faith. That God has many thoughts towards you, more than can be counted. He's thinking about you. He, uh, he loves you. He delights in you, as we read in Psalm 18. He's thinking about you constantly. Even as you're in the horrible pit, verse 2. Even when you're in the miry clay. Especially when you're there. You know, it's fascinating that um, when Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples and he actually appeared to his disciples also in, in sort of a smaller little crowd, the, the 11 apostles. Mine, uh, Judas wasn't there, but the 11 apostles. Actually, I think there was uh, 10 of them at the time because Thomas wasn't there. Thomas showed up and said, well, look, unless I see it and believe what you're telling me, I, I mean, unless I see what you're telling me, I, unless I see those wounds, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe. And it's interesting how when Jesus... Uh, uh, showed up and 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 saw uh, Thomas that um, to prove who he was. You know that's what he did. He he showed him his wounds. He he didn't call down lightning from heaven. He didn't call down a legion of angels. He didn't say, "Watch me heal this paralyzed person." He he said, "Thomas, touch my wounds. Touch them." And so people will see you even as you've come up out of the horrible pit. And it's not necessarily, it won't necessarily be your great wisdom. It won't necessarily, uh, you know, be your knowledge about the Bible. But it'll be your brokenness, your wounds. Your wounds that they will see and touch. How you've been wounded uh, in your life. And how, how the Lord has restored you. And Verse uh, 3, many will see that and trust in the Lord. That's how God can use you. He can, can use you uh, in that way. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings did you not require. So we learned this morning from Cain and Abel, they both made a sacrifice but only one of them gave a heart. <laughs> and that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants the first fruits um, of our life. It says there in verse 6, My ears you have opened. Now there's a reference, I think, more than once in the Psalms to this. My ears you have opened. Probably not talking about hearing there. It's talking about the uh, Old Testament law in which a Hebrew slave, according to Mosaic law, after six years, their masters were required by law to let them go. But if after six years you were a slave and you wanted to stick around because your master was so loving and he was so kind and he was so good... 
you had the right under the law to say, you know something, I don't want to be let go. I want to stay with you for the rest of, uh, for the rest of my life. How could I have it better out there than here? And at which point, there was actually a little public ceremony in which the master would go to the doorpost and take an awl, like a little nail, and pierce the ear of the slave. They put a golden, a golden earring in there, and it would signify that that bond servant, that slave, would be uh, with his master for life. Now, in the New Testament... We are called bond servants, people, men and women who have willingly said, God, you are so good. I would be crazy to leave. I'm just going to, I just want to stay with you uh, for, the rest of, for the rest of my life. And, and this is a, a reference to, uh, to that. There's one other place. Anyone know? Psalms? My ear you have pierced. Can't think of where that, uh, the other psalm that that uh, is, where David talks about that. We'll probably get to it uh, soon. But um, a wonderful picture, uh, a type of, of a follower of Christ. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is in my heart. Now, those of you who are with us on Sunday mornings, we just read this in Hebrews. This is a messianic prophecy in verse 7. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. In the King James Version, it says, in the volume of the book, uh, it is written of me. Uh, the volume of the book, the volume of Scripture is about Jesus. It's about Him. After He was resurrected he ran into or caught up with those two guys on the way to Emmaus they were all bummed out because Jesus had just been crucified and then he said what do you guys are you, are, are, are you so foolish you didn't read the scriptures the volume of the book which says quite clearly that it had to be this way uh, that the uh, that the Messiah had to to suffered uh, suffer and be turned over to the Gentiles but then he would be raised to life in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And so that is, um, David is saying that about himself, but it's a, the, it's a messianic prophecy, meaning it has a larger prophetic meaning, actually quoted in the New Testament as it pertains to Jesus. Verse 9, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. And so had a wonderful time last Sunday night at communion, proclaiming the good news of what the Lord has done in our lives, of what he has done in our lives um, before the assembly. And that's why we do that on, on, on Sunday evenings. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. We should not restrain from sharing with people what the Lord has done in our lives. Verse 10, I have, uh, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. And so, so important that we don't hide in our heart the things that the Lord has done for us. 
And verse 11, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. One of the one, wonderful things about David, he was just so dependent uh, on the Lord. And that's such a safe place to be where you realize it's only him uh, that you can reach to and cling to. Verse 12, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails within me. His heart is failing, but he's going to the Lord. You know, when our heart fails us, sometimes the Lord is the last person, last place, the altar of God where we want to be. We have to, by faith, go there. Be pleased, verse 13, O Lord, to deliver me. O make haste to help me. And let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. And Satan certainly wishes you evil. And what did we say last week or a couple weeks ago on Sunday night? What does Satan say to you? He's saying, aha! That's what it says again here in verse 15. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. That's what Satan's always doing. He's catching you in your sin. He's going, aha, what kind of Christian are you that you've lived in this manner, that you've stumbled in this way? Verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, continually, let the Lord be magnified. That word magnified in the Hebrew means to become great. It's an interesting little word study if you go to the different places where that Hebrew word for magnified is used. Genesis 24 where Eleazar goes to find a, uh, a wife for Isaac and he uh, meets Laban there and and he says the lord has blessed my master abraham greatly and he has become great and so same hebrew word become great let let everyone uh, it says let such as love your salvation say continually let the lord be magnified let his name become great and and, and that is something that happens in the heart of a believer in christ you just have a desire to see the name of the Lord expanded and become great. Let the name of the Lord be magnified in Boston. I don't know about you, but that's my heart. That the Lord's name would be magnified in this city. where it, to, to a place uh, that it once was and even much, much greater. Let, the, let all those... This appears to be a command, by the way. We don't appear to have much of a choice here. It says, let all those who seek you, let, and let such as, uh, as those who love your salvation say continually, let, uh, the, the, may the Lord be magnified. So you and I, let's obey the Lord this week and say that on our heart continually. Verse 17, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Psalm 41. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on earth. 
Uh, you will not deliver him uh, to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sick bed. Uh, pretty interesting. Who is it that the Lord will su sustain uh, during sickness? The one who considers the poor. Turn with me for a second to Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Galatians, that's right after 2 Corinthians, which is right after 1 Corinthians, which is right after Acts. So in here, uh, Paul is describing to the church in Galatia in, in chapter 2, he's going through the history he had, actually starting at the end of chapter 1. He's just going through the history from really the time he was saved until the time he was writing the letter, and he's just talking about how he was saved and how he went to the apostles and everyone was scared of him because he had been out killing people and What's this guy who was killing people saying, you know, he's a Christian now, is this a trap, is, you know, is he just luring us in so he can kill us, and um, he's just telling of his history of just meeting different uh, people, and uh, and then just towards the end, of, I won't take you through the whole thing, but towards the end of the chapter, it says, uh, it talks about his meeting with James and Peter and John, and uh, there with Barnabas in verse nine it says, and when James Cephas, which is Peter, and John and John, who seemed to be pillars, in other words, they were very important in the church, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they released them he and Barnabas to ministry. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In other words, they would continue to minister to Jews. Paul would go to the Gentiles. Verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Anybody who has been born again and has received the Holy Spirit is just going to have a heart for the poor, period. You know... A, a, a church, and unfortunately, really in the past hundred years, that there's been this, this, this almost like this disease that has come up within the church and within many churches. Well, we're just about evangelism, getting people saved. Other churches have gifts about like ministering to the poor. That's just not our ministry. But you can't separate them. Nowhere in the Bible do you see like a division where, you know, some churches, uh, you know, all they do is try to save souls. If there's anything that Paul did, it was that he went out and he preached the gospel and souls were saved. And it's interesting, you don't read a lot about what he did for the poor, but apparently th throughout the whole time that was something, it was a part of his ministry. He says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. I was eager to do it. And so, uh, a very important part uh, of the ministry uh, here at Calvary Chapel is reaching out to the poor, reaching out to them. 
that's what you do read here in uh, a, a whole series of promises. He who, he who considers the poor will be delivered in times of trouble, preserved, kept alive, blessed on the earth, delivered from the will of his en- enemies, and even strengthened on the bed of illness. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Verse 7, all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Interesting, when you are on the bed of sickness, oftentimes Satan will come and taunt you. And it is a very, very humbling thing to be sick. You're just thinking, you can't do anything about it. You're, you, you know, there was about six weeks or four or six weeks where I was out of the pulpit about five or six years ago with, with uh, just terrible neck pain. It's just so humbling. And, and because you're completely reliant upon God and his people. And it's very, very humbling. And Satan taunts you. And you know, obviously there must be some sin issue in your life, blah, 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 this type of thing. Now some sin issues are because of sin. And we know that from other places. Psalm 38, we learned that actually. But many times it's nothing to do with sin. It's just a time of humbling where God wants to get your attention. And God wants you, you know, to focus on Him. Verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, in other words, who ate with him, he used to eat at the king, uh, king's table, has lifted up his heel against me. And uh, we know almost certainly this is uh, talking of who? Ahithophel, who used to be a close, close friend of David, but betrayed him and went over to the camp of Absalom and counseled Absalom on how to defeat David. Nothing more painful than seeing or having to experience when a close, close friend just turns against you and just betrays you, betrays your trust. And, and there's only one place to go at that time. It's the place where David is going right now to the Lord, verse 10, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me, raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Now notice this. David is saying this in verse 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. He's saying this on the sickbed because apparently that's just where he is, verse 8. Again, it says people are saying, oh, look, this evil disease clings to him. And and that's where the Lord wants you to get when you're on the sickbed. Whether you're there because of the consequences of sin or whether you're there because... This is where the Lord has you. He wants you to be a worshiper there and be worshiping like like David is here. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. And I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted in me? You know, every once in a while you'll see one of these guys in sort of on the fringes of the charismatic movement, you know, say things like all depression is of the devil and there's no place for it in a Christian life. In fact, some Calvary Chapel guy, not one that I've ever heard of, was quoted in a paper recently saying that there's no place for depression in the life of a Christian leader. And I just read that. I go, what Bible has he been reading and from whom has he been been getting his commentary material? Because the Bible has examples of Christian, the greatest Christian leaders, the Apostle Paul, uh, David, clearly suffering from depression. And not only that, I think of uh, Spurgeon, a guy who, again, I've said this before, probably quoted on Sunday mornings in churches more than any other person outside of the Bible. Spurgeon I rem- suffered from depression. One sermon I, I read of, uh, of Spurgeon, the first three lines, he said this. He goes, I've been so depressed all day. I think it was a Sunday night. And I am just feeling so depressed. Right now, he used the word depressed. I don't feel at all competent to even be here this evening. I hope that maybe I can say something that will be beneficial to you. That's Spurgeon! <laughs> and, and so uh, the, the Lord uh, does uh, and may bring you to a place or, or uh, allow you into a place, place of depression. And my experience has been with depression in my life, it just makes me seek after the Lord and just cry out to Him uh, as the deer, verse 1, pants for the water brook. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So He says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope means the absolute expectation of coming Good. Doesn't mean I hope, you know, I, I win that raffle for that cruise in the Caribbean. No, that's, that's not like a wish thing. Hope is the absolute expectation of, cons- of, of coming good. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the heights of Hermon from the hill Mizar. That's what it says in verse 6. Sometimes it's good just to get out on a mountain or the ocean or the river and behold the glory of God in His creation. Just allow it to, to minister to your depression. Verse 7, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls all your ways and billows have gone over me. You know, sometimes the Lord will chasten like that. And it'll be wave after wave after wave crashing over us, and they're from the Lord. Now, we're, uh, the Bible does promise us that underneath is the everlasting arms. 
The Lord has a purpose for it. Verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And certainly, uh, this is a taunt of Satan, of the enemy, of the demonic realm. Why isn't God delivering you from this? And it's there all, all the more that there's nothing wrong with just going to the Lord and says, this is, Lord, this is what I'm hearing over and over. Where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? Lord, help me. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Countenance just means sort of your person, your brightness or your sorrow. Your, uh, what they say in the King James Version, your conversation, meaning your, your, your body uh, it actually, it doesn't mean words, but how your body uh, is reflecting what is going on in your heart is your countenance. So if your countenance is lifted, it says here that he's the help uh, of our countenance. And so uh, one thing you see in this uh, psalm is, uh, is, um, is one method of dealing with depression, which is just to speak to yourself. So why are you cast down, Steve? Why? Why are you so disquieted? Put your hope in God, you know? You say, well, I can't do that, you know? People look at me, they think I'm crazy. No, they, 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 today they'll just think you're speaking into a cell phone or something. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you know, one of those little thingamajigs on your, that go down on your, uh, on your shirt. But, but seriously, you, you see David... Uh, David do that, just speaking to himself. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it may be worth doing that. But clearly, he's, he's in a, a place here of dryness, of depression, of, uh, of just not understanding what's going on. And, you know, I do believe that, you know, if, you know, if you're here tonight and you're not hungering after God and you're in a place where Scripture does not interest you and... Prayer is no longer a part of your life, and praise is not a part of your life. You know, maybe you've been just feeding the wrong man or woman in your life. The Bible says we have, in Christ, we're a new creation, but and we're a new man, we're a new man. Well, you know, you can feed the new man and new women, or you can feed the old man and the old woman. And, you know, I don't know about you. I'm sure that this is not me who's done this before, but have you ever, like, three or four in the afternoon, you're, like, sort of ravishing hungry, and you just start to pig out on junk food? I mean, you get a bag of Cheetos, and you're like, you know, there's, like, orange stuff all over your... uh, face or whatever, and donuts, Pringles, you know, whatever. And then a couple hours later, there's just this great 
healthy meal, you know, that's put before you. A nice cut of steak and steamed broccoli and mashed potatoes. And you're like, I don't really want any of this. And I just want, I don't know if this applies to anyone in this room, but you have, if you have no appetite for the things of the Lord, maybe it's the TV you're watching. Maybe it's, you're not only looking at the headlines of those magazines that stop and shop, you're buying them and reading them. God help you if you're doing that. But it's, that's junk food that will ruin your appetite for the Lord. Maybe it's the entertainment. Maybe you're you're watching sports four hours a day each weekend day. Well, you know, you do that, you're not going to have an appetite for the things of the Lord. You know, if, if our flesh is titillated by the things of the world, our spiritual life, our spiritual appetite will diminish and lethargy, apathy will set in. Jesus said in John 4 to the Samaritan woman, I have a water for you. You drink it, you will not thirst again. That's the problem with the world is that you just... It just doesn't satisfy. You have to keep on going back and back and back and back. And you need more and more and more and more. And there's just misery there. If you're sitting here in this room today and you're feeding the old man, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, when I was a child, I acted as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. You can put your toys away. Those things that, those things that you used to satisfy your flesh with, you just need to put them away. And start seeking after the Lord. It's ruining your appetite. What if you came over to my house and my big old quarterback of a son, Sam, who just broke my finger last week playing football? That's my son did that. Can you imagine? He threw a spiral at me so hard it broke my finger. I'm proud of him. It was my fault. It was my 46-year-old brittle bones. But what if you came into our house and he was playing on the floor with a bunch of baby rattles? Sorry to put that picture in your head, but I mean, that would be very tragic. And, but you know, as a pastor, it it, it just grieves me and even gets me angry when I see Christians who know better playing with baby rattles, eating junk food. Just going to the, wor- the watering holes of the world. Because all it's going to do is it's going to spoil their appetite for the real thing. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, 
again, we read them this morning if you weren't here. Just wonderful verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, all the junk food, lay it aside. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You take away anything from the message this evening. It's just this. The Lord is the only only one worth living for. He's everything. He is worth laying aside every weight. And 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 David here, he is a man that has come, he's arrived in one sense because he's in this place. Actually, this, it, it may, this is not David. This is, it says the sons of Korah. But the psalmist here have arrived because, why? Because they're in this, this, this place where they're just panting for God. They're thirsting for him. When, verse 2, shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And, and that's such a safe place to be where you realize that only Jesus is worth living for. Only Him. It's just such a safe place to be and, and to come to that place where you realize, you know, why are you so disquieted within me? Just hope in God. Because I know I shall yet praise Him. He's the help of my countenance. He's my God. I love these psalms. We'll pick up in Psalm 43 next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, and I just pray, Lord, that you just agree, Lord. Every man and woman here this evening, we just agree with one another, Lord. We want to be the very people you are seeking after, Father, men and women, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we do want to put away everything that hinders, all that junk food. That sin that so easily ensnares, Lord. We ask for the grace to lay it aside and keep our eyes fixed on you. And we thank you just to open up, opening up our eyes this evening, Lord, where we can truly believe and say it's only you, Lord, that our life is worth living for. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to return,